0: And now it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast
1: I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the
2: force. <laughs> <Yahoo>! <laughs> 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 Hold
3: you! Like this. No!
0: No! 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 Really pissed me off.
3: Oh no! It's a trap. Chewy, get us out of here! You can't run. Two. <laughs> this is
0: where the fun begins. And now, together by live simulation via the internets, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell.
4: Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 63. Scott and Chris are taking this month off, so I'm here with Scott Rifen and Gene Hendricks. Who's scruffy looking? Howdy! Yes, well, we're letting the guys take, take a break this month because we're doing Assistant Editor's Month, and we're going to change things up. Different people are doing different shows, although I don't think anybody's doing anything different on uh, Dinner for Geeks. Are they, Scott? Uh,
5: yeah. are oh, trying to work that out. Oh, okay. We're Ooh. trying to work something out there.
4: Yeah, because I know some of you guys are going to be on um, the Back to the bins. show.
5: Back to the bins yes. And yeah. you would not believe the books we have picked out for that. I'm very excited.
4: Oh.
5: I have yes. to- can't wait to hear it.
4: I, some, I've never
5: even heard of some of them. So
4: is it going to be some long synopsises?
5: <laughs> no, we're trying to break the tradition.
4: So, hmm, hmm. I see. Hmm. <laughs> Since you regularly give me grief,
5: what what panel of con are we on now, by the way? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, Scott. Back a... to
0: apollo smile. <laughs>
4: Oh yeah, yeah, that was a bad one too.
5: Anyway, at least Con was a decent book that was being butchered. <laughs> Did
4: you ever read the rest of that? Oh, now the we're rest in this Con? Yeah, No. Uh, now, yeah. It kind of uh, explained things out a little bit how he <laughs> got his. Uh, but you know what? I'm I'm still working on my 17 part uh, thesis on it, so I'll, I'll just save that for later. <laughs> And, Honestly, and
5: I've been waiting on you to summarize it for me.
4: And uh, <laughs> this is Star Wars Monthly Monday and not ah. Star Trek. So we don't want to cross the streams too much. So I believe uh, I believe you're going to kick us off. You you have something special for us. Uh, you've apparently you've recapped the entire Marvel Star Wars run
5: all in one fell swoop. Every one, all one hundred and seven issues plus three annuals. Really? Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess uh, take it away, Mr. Rifen. All right, Marvel Star Wars in five minutes. Okay, it starts with a new hope. If I have to summarize that, you don't need to be listening. But then after the Death Star Solo and Chewie split off to go see Jabba and pay him what they owe him. However, they're hijacked by Crimson Jack and Jolly, who's never kissed a man. And they steal their reward for rescuing the princess. And they bum around on a strange planet. They're approached by three space monks and hired to recruit the Magnificent Seven, but eight, and in space. And yes, there's a giant green bunny, but I wouldn't mess with the guy because contrary to rumor, he's a bit of a badass. Then they fight the guy from Mad Magazine and face the behemoth. Then they get captured again by Crimson Jack and Jolly, who's never kissed a man, and find out that he's taken Leia captive. He gets her free, and they go find Luke, who in a striking moment of irony has crash-landed on an all-water planet. See, he's from a desert planet, and oh, you get it. Luke's been taken by pirates who live in a floating Lincoln log ship. They shut down the pirates and run into space where they're stopped by Crimson Jack again! This time, he and Solo suit up for a space duel, and just as Crimson Jack's about to kill Solo, Jolly, who's never kissed a man, sacrifices herself to save him because she's secretly in love with him. So he gets to kiss her when she's dead. Kind of gross. Then Valance the Hunter, who hates droids, shows up where the Space Magnificent Eight were recruited and tries to find out the name of the person who destroyed the Death Star. By the way, Valance is half-droid, which is why he hates droids. Deep. Luke then takes a moment to extensively remember the time during Skyhopper races they had to fight off a bunch of sand people. Then it's time for the Empire Strikes! That's it, just the Empire Strikes. Luke's mind touches Vader's mind to the Force and he blacks out. The Star Warriors take him to the wheel, an off track gambling satellite where they heal him, draw Vader's attention, and then get Han and Chewie thrown into arena where only one will live. They barely escape ahead of Vader, but then they probably ought to flash back again because they're tired. Leia tells the story of Obi-Wan using a ship to play dead during the Old Republic era, then it's back to the present of a long time ago. TIE fighters raid Yavin base, but they can't figure out how they got there. Turns out they're hiding in a vortex on Yavin created by the Tag family scientists. Luke checks it out, takes a stolen tie, and destroys the turbine that creates the vortex. But wait! Balance the hunters back. And he still hates droids, even though he is half droid. He's looking for the name of the person who destroyed the Death Star because Vader wants the name and it's a hot commodity. He finds out it's Luke and thoroughly kicks his ass, only to have 3PO intervene. 3PO's attempted sacrifice causes a change of heart for Valance, who decides Luke is okay because he has a special relationship with droids. Ugh. He decides to protect him, but wait! Hannah Chewy are holed up in a cave trying to escape the skinny cat like Jabba the Hutt, 1T. All of a sudden, they find out the cave's full of metal eating bugs. The bugs eat half of Jabba's guys and then they get away, only to have to rescue Jabba, for which he agrees to waive their debt to him. You remember that, right? Next, Vader finds out that a Rebel deserter named Tyler Lucian knows the name of the guy who blew up the Death Star, so he goes to talk to him. Valance beats him there and gives his life on an acid planet to protect the coward. The coward sees this and sacrifices himself to protect Luke's identity. Leia then goes on an Imperial slave planet to sow the seeds of rebellion and helps a little girl sow some real seeds. It's sweet. Then the gang reunite to defeat the evil winged ruler of a planet whose three favorite Jedi are Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker, and... Darth Vader. Okay, so they can't count. Then Luke goes home to tattooing, commandeers a Sandcrawler and discovers a secret tag plan to freeze the Rebel fleet. Luke lays the smack down to Baron Tag and escapes from their clutches, only to barely warn the fleet not to get frozen. The tags, however, refuse to let it go. See, frozen, let it go. Anyway, meanwhile, Sister Domino travels to the Rebellion to tell them that even though they're neutral, the Empire's vying for their services, and they'd like Luke to propose an alternative to her monastery on the planet of... Monastery. Turns out she's sister Domina Tag, and she recruited Luke because Vader finally found his identity. Baron Tag finds out that his sister, the one pure Tag, is in evil league with Vader and freaks out. Luke agrees to meet Vader in a field of spontaneously growing crystals and fights Vader to the death. Only it's not Vader, it's Baron Tag with Vader's image force projected over him. This leads to No Wait. A bounty hunter sneaks up on Solo and Orb Mandel, hand shoots first, and the bounty hunter tells him Jabba reinstated the price on his head because he was bankrolling Crimson Jack and Solo took him out. Of course, this sets up The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, wait, no, not yet. The issue said that would be next, but it wasn't. Instead, Luke and Leia get swallowed by a giant living ship who lets them go after they teach it about love. Now The Empire Strikes Back. After Empire, Luke fights a sentient probe droid. Hey, where'd he get that lightsaber? Then Lando witnesses the end of Cody's Sunchild. R2 and 3PO defuse a war on droid world. Leia and Vader fight it out for a bank loan. Leia gets a hookup as Luke honors a crazy old creature who thinks he's a Jedi. Luke catches the Crimson forever, but he's saved more or less by Dominatag. The Empire decided to build a second Death Star. Well, no, that's what Dave Michelinie wanted the Empire to do. I don't know why Lucasfilm wouldn't let him. Meanwhile, Vader's men try to kill him. The Rebels foil the second Death Star, called the Tarkin, and Vader foils the officer. Next, Leia visits Barsoom. That's all I got. But the Rebels find a new base with Pliff and the Hoojibs as they defeat the Slivelisk. Lando sneaks back to Cloud City, where a malfunctioning Lobot tries to beat the crap out of him. An Imperial officer shows up just as things get good and kicks Lando off of Cloud City. Yes, off of Cloud City, Lobot uses a jetpack to save him. They go down to Bespin to get help from the Ugnaughts. Meanwhile, Luke and his new lady friend Shira go to Cloud City to find Lando, only to mix it up with the Imperials. Cloud City saved, the residents come back home. Next, R2 and 3PO save the Rebel fleet from being burned up by going on a spacewalk. Luke and Lando go to a market planet, are almost eaten by a trash monster. Then Luke finds out that his lady friend Shira was a refugee from the Empire, and she goes back to her home planet to honor their sacrifice to the Empire. The Empire has a new secret weapon, and Luke and new lady friend Shira go on a mission to stop it. They're in stolen TIEs, and during the battle, Luke has to use the Force to decide who's trying to kill him and blow them up. When he gets back, he finds the last tie he blew up was his new lady friend, Shira. No! He's arrested and escapes, returning to her home planet to repeat her ritual, only to find she was an agent of the Empire and she was sending signals to Darth Vader. Before his trial, Luke somehow goes to a planet of jousting lizards. Then the trial! Luke is found not guilty in just over two pages. The Rebels are sent to destroy a new Imperial recorder that's all natural. Luke mixes it up with the Water Bandits and makes it all rain up in there. The gang get a flashback from Solo's past because, well, we've missed him. Then Chewie, R2, and 3PO tackle the Darker. Then the gang decide to finally go after Solo. Not sure why it took so long, but hey, I'm not complaining. First, Leia tracks down and confronts Boba Fett. No, wait, it's another Mandalorian named Shiza, who was a buddy of Boba's back when the Mandalorians fought... On the Emperor's side in the Clone Wars. Don't ask. They wind up driving the Empire out of the city of Bone. Meanwhile, in an even distribution of labor, Luke, Chewy, and go to Stenax, where Solo mixes it up with natives in a god statue called Vol. There, they run across some old associates of the scoundrels Rick, Danny, and the Rodian Cheeto. No, he's not orange. Through their adventure, they find Bosk at IG 88 with a carbon frozen Cheeto! Curse the luck! They make friends with the Vol worshippers and escape. Only Danny, a species of horny alien called a Zeltron, stows away and puts the moves on Luke, who's already trying to deal with his feelings for Leia. Ah, back when life was simple. They then run into the Lazbys, cute as he walks, which don't exist yet, but when they reach puberty, they turn into a giant, muscle-bound, raging creatures called Hux. I'm sure that was intentional. Anyway, Leia disguises herself as a shantu, and her sexy tone sent a Lasby into puberty. She then has to calm him down by singing to him. Next, they go to a water planet where outsiders aren't welcomed by some. Their city's destroyed it's blamed on water-breather Kiro, but he was set up. Vader finds out they're there, and he sends troops. A firefight breaks out, so does a sea serpent. Then Luke's childhood tattooing buddy, Wedge, gets stuck on a transport after the Battle of Hoth and is about to give up hope when he's rescued by his old childhood buddy, Luke. Luke disses some kids who idolize him, so one of them becomes a stormtrooper. Lando calls himself Drebble and dresses like Captain Harlock in order to scheme his way into a goddess called the Minstrel. 3PO falls in love with a robot named Ellie, who is blown away, looking out for her master. Then Return of the Jedi. Well, it would have been if they had run that adaptation of Marvel Star Wars, but they didn't, but this is where it would have been. Next, Boba Fett takes on Solo again on Tatooine after crawling out of the starlight pit, but he commandeers a sandcrawler and winds up falling right back into the pit. Luke goes to hang with Kiro, and Kiro leaves his people and takes off with Luke. Lando teams up with a hot chick for a filler con game story, and wins a crystal. From a legendary star system in a card game, and goes to their home for more, but it doesn't work out. The real Drebble wants Lando's hide, but he and Lando end up teaming up, and Lando gives him a gift—the goddess statue right in front of some Vauls. Leia's life is saved by a stormtrooper from Alderaan. He dies. She cries. She's a chick. Rick, Dool, Danny, and Kiro show up, and everyone's in danger. And Kiro nearly dies trying to save everyone. Danny thinks he's hot. Lumia arrives on the scene. She wears armor like Darth Vader's, but with metal Princess Leia cinnamon buns. But who is she under that respirator mask? Hmm. Luke gets involved in a civil war on a planet where there's always a traitor, always. Leia struggles with identity issues. Is she a soldier or a diplomat? On Kashyyyk, the gang meet in a guy named Knife who looks like Frankenstein, and they bust up slavers. A potential apprentice for Luke shows up, but he's really his own sister, and he dies, or she dies. Best left there. Luke settles issues on the planet of the kitty cats. Then the Lasbys and the Ewoks declare war on each other. Yes, that's how far we've sunk. Then Knife comes back, Kiro's attack, and Luke gets the crap beat out of him by Lumia and her Light Whip. Top 10 cool things in the galaxy. Light Whip. Luke manages to hulk out and knock Lumia's mask off, and she turns out to be... His new lady friend, Shira. Just let me tell you, back then, that gave a lot of life to a dying book. It was a cool reveal in the middle of a pool of sub-mediocre stories. Then a guy invade, one of them tortures and rapes Danny, and they develop a relationship. Hey, if it were written by a guy, I'd want him arrested. Next, Solo and Lando save some kids in a Goodwin-Williamson story that comes out of nowhere. Then Lando falls ill, Han threatens to blow up a whole planet unless he's saved. Then a guy, war resumes, and Han's childhood buddy, Bay, betrays them. Who? Just wait. Solo runs into his childhood buddy next for the first time in years. See, because of the 100th issue, they had to be printed out of sequence. Yes, someone should be shot first they return to Kiro's world save the day and Kiro takes off to protect his people again Leia winds up with a guy after a battle and they're supposed to learn to trust each other then he's killed and she cries again all the girls have been crying in this book Leia 3PO anyway these giant bugs who were supposed to be allies actually turned out to be traitors hey they're bugs what do you expect then they change sides because hey they're bugs what do you expect finally 30 issues seem to have passed between issues 106 and 107 and they're fighting the end of a huge war and Bay's a good guy again and everyone's happy the end of Marvel Star Wars
0: That's it.
4: Uh, you know that's not enough for the whole show, right?
5: Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. I I my, I thought it would be a little longer. I it, you know when I when I practiced it in front of the mirror, it was it seemed longer. Mm. It seemed seemed a lot longer. It seemed a little a little longer than the con synopsis actually.
4: You. You often stand in the mirror and think things are longer. <laughs> well, uh, that's okay.
5: U- usually, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, no, that, no. objects. It's uh, objects, objects are larger, are larger than they appear. Than wet. Yeah.
4: No problem. No problem. Hey, could could you just move a little little to your left?
0: Um.
4: Oh. Okay. All right, Gene. Push the button.
0: But, Bill, I don't think he deserves that. Wait. What? Just push the button. Fine. Well, on to
4: Plan B.
1: <laughs> and now for something completely different. <laughs> Space, we're leaving Mother Earth to save the human race,
2: our Star Blazers,
5: searching for a distant star, heading off to Iskandar, leaving all we love behind, who knows what dangers we'll find, we must be strong
1: and brave, our home we've got to save. If
5: we don't, in just one year, Mother Earth will
1: disappear. Fighting with the Gamelons, we won't stop until we've won. Then we'll return, and when we arrive,
2: the Earth will survive with our Star Blazers.
4: Welcome to not Star Wars Monthly Monday, as we had to ditch our other co-host, Mr. Riefen. He had to make a hasty exit. And uh, instead, we are going to take the reins, Gene and I, and we are going to bring you Star Blazers Monthly Monday, Episode 1. Or, in parentheses, Star Wars Monthly Monday, Episode 63.
0: (laughs) And don't worry, folks, Scott is fine.
4: Yes, there was a large cushion of pillows at the bottom of that hole. At least, I think it was that hole. Oh, well. Anyway, I'm sure he'll be back for Dinner for Geeks in a few weeks.
0: Optimistically.
4: Yes. I'm sure the other guys are really concerned about his welfare, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Especially Ron. (laughs) Just Ron.
0: Now, some of you may be wondering, what the heck is Star Blazers?
4: Well... Actually, they might be wondering what's going on in general. This month, the entire Two True Freaks network is going to change things up. I think on the majority of the shows, I think all the shows have pretty much been slated, except for possibly Walking Dead Wednesday. I don't know yet. Different people are going to take different shows. Also, maybe the same people might be on their regular show, but they might cover a completely different topic, which is why Gene and I are here on... Regularly, Star Wars Monthly Monday turn into Star Blazers Monthly Monday, and maybe if everybody likes it, or you know what, even if everybody doesn't like it, we'll still keep doing them. <laughs> we'll just do our own show later.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's just what the the feed needs—another show.
4: Oh yes, exactly. But yeah, we're doing it in the old style of the assistant editors' month that Marvel used to do, where they you would get sometimes you would get the completely silent books. I think that was in the GI Joe mm. era. And I believe there was an Avengers booked where they were on the David Letterman show. I think that was an Assistant Editors Month, or maybe it was the. I think there was one that had the Not Ready for Primetime Players. Oh, it was Spider Man? That was Spider Man. Maybe it's yeah. the same month. I it's I I don't really remember, but 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 that's kind of what what's going on. What's everything's shaking out a little different this month? Maybe the uh because we just came off the Apes month, uh Apes month. You know we that just, followed
0: X Men month. <laughs>
4: Oh yeah, we—that's right. We had X Men month, eight month, and so, you know, this is just more of the one crazy summer, <laughs>
0: the John Cusack summer of love here. At some point, we'll get back to your regular schedule programming, but not this month. Mm-mm. So what are we doing, Gene? Well, we're doing a little uh, review of a show called Star Blazers, and this is a, uh, a show that both Bill and I grew up with, and we love it. Unfortunately, there are some people on this this feed that have no idea what it is, so we are going to correct that. We're going to tie them down and force them to listen to this. (laughs) That's right, we're going to come to your house, we're going (laughs) to shove MP3 players in your ears, and make you listen whether you want to or not. Oh, if they're like me, it's a new show on the feed, so they have to listen to it. Oh yeah. But then again, I'm insane. (laughs) No comment. So anyway, let me give you a little rundown, people, on what Star Blazers is. And that is actually a an American adaption of a Japanese cartoon series, which was originally called Space Battleship Yamato. Now, in this show, the wreck of the World War II battleship Yamato, one of the super battleships, which was the same as the, the Nazi Bismarck or the U.S. Iowa class, the, the biggest battleships you've ever seen,
4: yeah, if I remember correctly, its big claim to fame was that it had 18-inch guns, which at the time, I want to say, God, you know, you'd think I'd know this as much as I've studied crap like this. It had 18-inch guns, which the, the current size of guns allowed on ships was 16-inch, which mm-hmm. was like the Iowa class that America had. But it had 18-inch guns, which was supposed to be a no-no, which, you know, is a whole oxymoron, the whole rules in war thing. Oh, you can't have 18-inch guns. It's a gun. Who cares? <laughs> They're already at war. What are you going to do to them? Well, Japan was also at the time supposed to be saddled in by a previous treaty that had limited the size of ships and the number they could produce. It was whole, There was like a whole big battleship arms race back during the in, in the middle of World War I to World War II. It was who had the biggest, the most tonnage, the most guns, mm-hmm. and it was a big sign of power, was naval power which subsequently in later years was rendered moot by air power. But, uh, but all right, I'll, I'll
0: get off my history, so <laughs> Anyway, the, in this show, the Yamato is transformed into a space battleship in order to save Earth from an extraterrestrial attack. Now, the ship is rechristened the Argo in Star Blazers. I guess they wanted to get rid of as many Yamato references as possible. Mm. And it is equipped with one major item, which is known as the Wave Motion Engine. Now, this engine allows the ship to warp space and travel between two points without covering the physical space in between. Okay, but can... but yes? but don't be in a hurry. <laughs> as long as it takes for that thing to fire up
4: well yeah <laughs> oh my God, can we just go already right? it's it's not like Star Wars with warp drive, no, no, it's like they've got to plot everything, then they've got to point themselves in the right direction, it takes a while, but it's a but but it's a good payoff when it finally happens,
0: oh, yeah, very psychedelic in the uh mm-hmm. in the execution in the cartoon. Being that humans are the way we are, a way was also found to turn the energy from this engine into a weapon known as the wave motion gun, which essentially turns the ship into a giant cannon capable of huge destructive force. Picture the Death Star super laser, but mounted on a ship. It's that powerful. Yeah, and if uh, you haven't taken a close look at the um, Photoshop for this week's episode, go back and take a look. You might see something in the corner blowing up the Death Star. Now, this show ran on American TV from 1979 to 1984. And because it was aimed at children, the episodes were essentially kidified. Now, what I mean by that is that uh, references were made prior to something being destroyed that, oh, well, this is a robot tank or everyone's evacuated this base. And you know the obviously large bottles of sake were referred to as spring water. Yeah, Doctor Sane loved his spring water. Oh yeah. yes. And <laughs> in, in the one episode, he refers to it as a new uh, motion sickness cure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, as you may guess, that this show follows the crew of the M- Yamato, not just the ship, and they are, are all volunteers, and the unit is known as the Star Force. And on its adventures, there are a couple major characters that we're going to be talking about. I'm going to give you guys just a general intro to who these characters are, so when we refer to them later, you're not as confused as you might be. Now, the first one is Derek Wildstar, and out of the ensemble cast, he is definitely our star, because at least in the first series, he is the story arc that we follow more than anyone else. And at the beginning, which we'll talk about, he is quite arrogant and a hot-headed pilot stationed on Mars. And Mars is, is not terraformed. This is actually the red plant, Mars, practically no atmosphere, etc. The second character is Mark Venture, and he is Wildstar's best friend and is more level-headed, but not by much. He's also stationed on Mars with Wildstar at the beginning of the show. Then we have Nova. Well,
4: and unfortunately, yes. Mark Venture has that horrible speech impediment that
0: we we're making fun of earlier. <laughs> Wildstar. Yeah, he drops his R's for some reason. He because, must be from the Northeast. Yes, he's he's from Maine. Yeah, Wildstar, Captain
4: Avatar wants you on the bridge. Whereas, what did I call him? Venture Gump. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, Nova.
4: Mm. Then we Nova. have Nova, the oh, only my. woman in the Star Force. Yes,
0: the only woman in the Star Force, and no, she does not wear a fur bikini. Hmm. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'll leave you with that picture for a while. Uh she's kind of a catch-all character. Yeah, but uh, she wears a skin tight bodysuit. Yes. Or a little short nurse's outfit.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Now anyway. and when we first meet her, she's a nurse, but then when she gets on the ship, she is the radar officer. So uh you know, she's basically wherever they need her. She tries a few times to get Wildstar to open up about his resentment towards the commander, Captain Avatar.
4: Yeah, yeah, she she kind of act acts like in some ways like the conscience, or you know of not the con, you know what I mean, of, yeah. of, of the ship or like the like the Deanna Troy
0: trying to get everybody to talk about their problems and you know you just like be quiet and look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Except she's not as annoying as Troy, and she does serve some kind of purpose. Yeah, and she's not Captain Obvious either. Right. I'm sensing aggression. No kidding. <laughs> is that why they have their guns trained on us thank you very much
4: yes <laughs> planet bombs i don't know why you would think they're being aggressive to us yeah.
0: now captain avatar is the commander of the star force and he's the senior captain uh, in the earth defense force and he is pretty much the the driving force behind it converting finished the conversion of the yamato into a space battleship so they can go on this huge round-trip mission. He is pretty much a no-nonsense commander and has a bit of a temper, which luckily he takes out on the enemies of Earth. Then we have Sandor. He is the science officer and essentially a Spock analog.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he's stereotypical, much more common than the rest, and usually called upon to create some kind of device to get them out of their current jam. And it's usually a uh, I didn't know they could actually do this in five minutes, you know, kind of thing. Then we have Orion, and if Sandor is the Spock analog, then Orion is Scotty. He's an old Irishman. It's been with Captain Avatar for years, and he's responsible for the Wave Motion Engine, and seems to instinctively know how to how it works and how to repair it, even though it's alien technology.
3: Good, the Wave hooded. Motion
0: Engine powers <laughs> at hundred and ten percent. And then there's Dr. Sane. And oh, boy. With any cartoon out of Japan at this time period, no matter how serious it was, you had to have one cartoony, goofy character, and that's Dr. Sane. Oh, yeah. And you can tell that, because he's being drawn quite different from the rest. He's shorter, he has pinpoint eyes, where the rest have, you know, the regular big anime eyes. He he looks like a
4: Santarin almost, from... Dr. a little bit o.
3: yeah
4: i mean his head is kind of weirdly shaped his little tiny beady eyes he has no neck <laughs> he has no neck it's <laughs> like shoulders neck shoulders head one solid piece mm-hmm. and he and uh in our first episode we'll talk about late well it won't really be in the synopsis but uh he actually when he first meets Wildstar and Venture, he's wrestling a pig <laughs> and there's this whole sequence. He's trying to get the pig into a room and he's pulling on the pig and he's pushing it. And next thing, the pig flips him over and he gets him in a hold, and the pig bites him on the butt. <laughs> I mean, you know, he is blatantly the cartoon,
0: the comic relief of the yes. show. Now, comic relief or not, he is typically the voice of reason. Later on in, in the show, he basically berates Captain Avatar for, A decision he made but this is the guy that always has his spring water with him yeah wink wink (laughs) then we have iq9 and he is the token robot of the star force he's a very advanced model with super strength the ability to separate himself into smaller parts which can apparently fly yeah and he has a very high iq of which he is constantly reminding everybody
4: yeah, he's he's also a voyeur because he can detect he can detach his head and attach it to a wall and listen to a conversation on the other side. And who knows what else he can detach and go watch. Mm. Kind of a creepy robot.
0: Yeah, well, in the <laughs> uh, in the Japanese version, he is obsessed with Nova to the point where they refer to him as the uh the robot pervert.
3: <laughs> well, let's
0: go back and watch that again. <laughs> Now, in addition to the Star Force characters, we also have their chief enemy, Deslock of Gamelon. Deslok is a soft-spoken dandy with a healthy, healthy dose of respect for his enemies, especially Captain Avatar. But this covers a ruthless streak, since it's his, on his orders that the attack on Earth with planet bombs was begun, and he's happy to order troops to their death with a smile on his face.
4: Yeah, uh um, I don't want to say he's like a pimp,
0: <laughs> but
4: he just has the, he talks like this the whole time, yes, ha, ha 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 but he's just got this little lilt in his voice, almost elf-like, and, mm-hmm. and he has a, a grayish military, grayish bluish military uniform, and uh, the Gamelons, I believe they all have blue skin too. Is it blue? Well, or? That,
0: that's something that's well, interesting.
4: I, I think that changes. I think they are, there's a couple different.
0: They start out the series and they're just they they're like the original series Klingons. They're very tan, mm-hmm. but they're they look human. And then later on, I can't remember exactly which episode it is, but you see Deslock walking, and he he originally has like light brown hair and this tan skin color. And as he's walking, the lighting changes, and he has bright blonde hair and bright blue skin. skin yeah. So I think that at some point they were told, well, you know, these, these aliens don't really look that alien, and they had to retool it, and they just... Well, because they... about halfway
4: through, they actually capture one and bring it on yes. the ship and pull its, uh, like, flight suit off, and they see that it's, that, that it's blue. But but yeah, Deslock is uh, quite he's got quite the rocking outfit. He's got the military, like a general's garb on. He has a black cloak with a red lining, and he's mm. and he's usually occasionally has a goblet of wine in his hand. Yes. Sipping casually. Ah oh, yes, the Star Force. Ha 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 ha. And he's always referred to as Leader Deslock. Leader Deslock. Or when he walks into a room, Deslock, 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 Deslock. The Gamelons are—they've got, yeah—they've well, we'll get into them at yes. at, at some point. But, um, that kind of sets the stage for the series proper, or at least this—the first. Just to go on a tangent, <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. You know, if you compare this to the Japanese one, there's going to be differences. There's differences mm-hmm. in name, uh, the characters, like Deslock, I believe, is Desler. The Gamelons are a slightly different variation of that name as well. Uh, Like we said, the Argo is actually called the Yamato or the Yamato. You say Yamato, I say Yamato. (laughs) So there's a little differences there. So if you look something up later or see something, going, well, that's not what you guys said. Well, because there's there's different versions. And Mm -hmm. even in the Japanese side, there's different movies that also are kind of like a separate canon from the series. Like, some of them intertwine, some of them don't.
0: Yeah, one of the movies they actually have the Yamato is destroyed at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And part of the Star Force is killed. But then there was so much backlash about that that they said, okay, well, let's take the premise of that movie and we're going to make a completely different series out of it, but it's not going to just get destroyed at the end because, obviously, we have a moneymaker on our hands.
4: We got better. <laughs> <laughs> And also in researching this, we kind of discovered – don't think it was this – didn't have time to really research it deep, deep. But something along the same vein was another show that I found that was uh, brought to America was called Blue Noah Space Carrier. But over here was called Thundersub, which has a very close plot to the first season somewhat of uh, Star Blazers. But I believe uh, Thundersub was only one season.
0: Okay, yeah. See, I've never even heard of it until you sent me that link.
4: Yeah, I, I was, was like, what? And it's more like a uh, like a carrier. Although, mm-hmm. oddly enough, the front of the ship opens up and there's a giant gun inside it.
0: Hmm. Where have I seen that before? Yeah. Argo. Argo. <laughs> well, this was actually the... The Argo was actually the first one that had some type of super weapon like that. Because ev- everywhere I see it referred to, because it when did the first series come out? Because it was over here in '79, I think the the original space battleship Yamato was in like 1976 or something. So
4: uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, the original air date of episode one was September of 19 1979. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Well, that, w- that was over here. Right, right. That was here. Yeah. A space Battleship Yamato in Japan wa- was in 1974. Wow. So th- hmm. this super laser on this ship predated Star Wars by three years.
3: Hmm.
0: Very nice. And then the second series was 1978 and the third series was 1980 in Japan. Well, Well, now that we've talked a little bit about the series, where did you first discover it? Well, I first discovered it, I, see, here's the thing. I, I always remember this show. You know, I don't have a memory before I knew about the show. It was on Saturday mornings, really early. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) This was one of those that you had, you had to, you know, really annoy your parents because you got up so early to, to watch it. And I think it's because it's, even though it was kidified, it still had adult themes. So they want to make sure that, you know... Well,
4: yeah, there, there, there was deaths in... Mm-hmm. You know, there's some pivotal deaths of certain characters that it wasn't the G.I. Joe version of, you know, oh, there's a parachute. Oh, there's right. a life pod.
0: You yeah, know, they actually hit things with their lasers.
4: <laughs> yeah, and things did blow up and people did die, but it wasn't played up as, as much. Right.
0: But I... I remember watching that with the kid next door. He was an only child, and we used to, you know, he was the only other kid around my age in our neighborhood, so we would always play together. And he had, I don't know what kind of trees they are, but when the leaves would drop on these trees in the fall, they would curl around themselves so that they were these these tubes and we would pretend they were the Argo <laughs> and we would fly around and it's like oh the Gamelons are attacking and we would crunch them because as we will see as we go through this show the Argo gets the snot beat out of it oh yeah it does it gets damaged like every episode so it's like but there were so many of them it's like you know we would crumble it up and it's okay repairs and pick up another one there it is this is way back in my earliest memories from the first the first house I remember us living in, because we lived in another house till I was three, but I don't remember any of that. It's probably because I was playing Superman, smacked my head on my dad's speakers, but <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> memory loss? What memory loss? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. This had to be like 1980, 81, so it was fairly early in the, uh, the run on U.S. TV. How about yourself, Bill? How did you discover it?
4: Well, I know exactly when I discovered it, because unfortunately, I had traveled back to New Jersey for my grandfather's, what, what, no, 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 it was why I traveled there, it wasn't because I traveled back there. No, I I had, uh, we'd gone back to New Jersey for my grandfather's funeral, and back in like 19, probably 1980, 1979 sometime and while there it was on channel 17 out of philadelphia if, if i remember correctly one morning while we were there i caught this show on tv and it was star blazers and had the ship and you know this was right after star wars had come out so you know this is this is a this is a big ship in space and it fires lasers and there's explosions and oh my god what's going on and then came back to florida it was about another six months until I could find it down here. And just like uh, up there, it was uh, – although up there, I I think – I don't remember c- c- catching it that early. but um, but Well, when I, I,
0: I might have caught off a New York station.
4: Maybe. But when I came back to Florida, I found it. And it was only like 6 or 6.30 in the morning.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So – and it was only on Saturday, so – you had to get up really early to catch it. And then I think it, would, it was sometimes followed by a, a episode of, of uh, Ultraman. Okay. So, so yeah, it was like an hour block there of uh, Star Blazers and then some good old Ultraman uh, giant monster fighting.
0: Yeah, see, with with us, I think it was it was shown with Battle of the Planets.
4: Yeah, I think there was... Battle of the Planets, I remember, was an afternoon show. Coming home from school, I, I would catch it then.
0: Yeah, no, I... That was something that was only on weekends with us. Yeah, which now that I discovered Gotchman, it makes
4: more sense why planets look like Earth. Yes. It <laughs> looked like, wow, all these planets look like alien planets, but when they get in the atmosphere, the sky is blue. And it looks like <laughs> a beach somewhere on Earth. I don't get it. So, yeah, it made made a little bit more sense. Which, uh, on another tangent of a tangent, you saw who passed away, right? Yes. Yeah, the voice of Mark on Battle of the Planets, Casey Kasem. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And among many, many other cartoon Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Most notably, for those of you listening and had no idea what Battle of the Planets is, Shaggy on Scooby-Doo and Robin on the Super Friends. Mm
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Holy free holies, (laughs) Batman.
4: I don't think they ever said that. Did
0: he do that a lot on the Super Friends? I don't think so.
4: Uh... (sighs) I I I at least remember it once or twice.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure it, yeah. it happened. I don't, I don't think it think was, it was like, every show. It wasn't Burt Ward. No. Kind of, you know, every five minutes. No. but uh, So anyway, Star Blazers. Back to Star Blazers. So, yeah,
4: it's we've both had this, you know, because I was about, uh, like, in 79, I was 10. You know, so I discovered when I was 10 or 11, and then for many, many, many years... Because actually there are three seasons of the American show. There's the uh, the quest for what is that? The quest for Iskandar. The Comet Empire is season two, and season three is called the Bowler Wars. Now I'd never seen the Bowler Wars on TV, and I had never seen all of the Comet Empire. I pretty much caught all of season one, uh, the quest for it, for Iskandar. Um, but that was always the elusive one. Was the rest of the Comet Empire and the Bowler Wars until I got actually got out of the Navy and suddenly I found like an anime place here in Tampa, and they had like a box set of well, excuse me, The Quest for Iskandar, I had to track down in thirteen individual videotapes, <laughs> two episodes per tape. Then I got the Comet Empire in in a six videotape set. And I got the Bowler Wars and a six videotape set. But now I believe you have them in DVD or Blu-ray?
0: I have, uh, I have the entire Quest for Iskandar on DVD, which mm-hmm. I think is like eight DVDs. And then I have the first two of the Comet Empire on DVD. But I had not seen anything beyond that. And then in doing research for this show, we discovered they have all 77 episodes on Hulu. For free. Yes. So
4: if anybody would like to play along. Or just enjoy the series on on your own. You can go to Hulu. Also you can. Which has commercials. And the video quality is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you can also catch it. Somebody took the exact same videos. From a company called Manga Entertainment. And they're also on YouTube. So whatever floats your fancy. Whatever floats your boat. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Pun intended. Yeah it's. It's a good it's a good place to watch it. Obviously, it's free, even better. Now, mm-hmm. there's also I mean, do we well, there's another uh, somebody is going back. I, I don't know the name of the company, and I wish I could give them credit. There's a people that are going back and they're updating the animation.
0: It's actually Voyager Entertainment. Oh, is it is it Yes. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Voyager Entertainment for those of you that don't know. Are they're the people that bought the license to Space Battleship Yamato for the U.S. distribution, and they've held it ever since, and they have gone back and they've start they've basically taken the original show and just reanimated it, and it is gorgeous. Oh yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you're like drooling, like
2: ooh,
4: <laughs> ah, you know, because it's now today's. I mean, oh, okay, I mean, I I guess we should point this out. The animation back then, for its time, was was good.
0: Oh, yeah. It was cutting it was... edge in 1974. But <laughs> if you
4: compare it to animation now, I mean, if, if it's night and... Well, I don't want to say it's night and day, but it's, it's a vast difference mm-hmm. with the ones they're doing now. The remakes look so much better. But for the nostalgia fact, it's nice to go back and watch these. But now the new ones are all in Japanese, so... But I'm sure you can find it with subtitles. Although I found one with Spanish subtitles. And it's like, (laughs) Senor... Well, he's not called Wildstar. He's like... uh, I can't remember his Japanese
0: character's name. Oh, um... Kodai? uh, I think it's Kodai. Kodai. Yes. Yes. Senor Kodai. (laughs) That sounds weird. (laughs) But they... uh, This is such a phenomenon in Japan that in 2010... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They... Sorry. So they, they took the Quest for Iskendar, condensed it down into a two hour live action movie, and that is phenomenal. The what they had did with that that movie is just amazing. You look at it and they got some of the scenes like directly out of the animation and it it just how they did it is just knocked my socks off. I've watched the movie twice in the past two weeks. It's that good. Yeah. Now it's it's all in Japanese. With no dubbing, you have to actually read the subtitles, but it, it works so well, it's amazing. hmm Yeah, I mean there's a lot of shots they're right out
4: of, you know, that they just brought the anime to life. You know, and, and and then even better. I mean it's just like the space warping scenes and things that they mm-hmm. can do with the ship. Ah. Uh. It, it, it's if you like some space battles with cutting edge tech, phew, this movie is awesome. Oh yeah, and that also is is out there floating on YouTube. Although I would like to pick it up, I think it's just getting released, or there's a there's a Blu-ray for it in, in America. I don't. I'm yeah, not...
0: I I've I haven't looked for it. I I know it has been available in Japan for a while, but I don't think there was anything in our region until recently.
4: Yeah, and much like uh well, you know what? Nope, I I'm not gonna finish that because I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> Shut up.
0: But I, I I think <laughs> if if I'm if memory serves, the American DVD and or Blu-ray is available on Amazon. So if you're gonna buy it, make sure you go through the Two True Frink site and click on the Amazon link. Oh yes. Yes. Gotta get that plug in. Mm-hmm. Gotta we gotta keep DeManzo happy. Yes. <laughs>
4: Because I still don't remember what happened when I went up to upstate New York about Care <laughs> with me and a pig named Arnold Ziffel. It's all a blur. <laughs> Somehow I ended up back down here, and I don't know what happened to Arnold. Maybe we'll find out one day. Yeah. <laughs> he's with Dr. Sane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that was the pig. Yeah. Oh, that's what happened. He he got shunted into the future, and he's the pig that bit uh, Dr. Sane on the butt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you think we should talk any more about the series proper or start getting I, into I uh
0: Really, I think any more talking about the series is going to spoil some future episodes and I don't right. want to do that because they're the story is just so good in this that I don't want to, you know, keep anyone from the suspense or the the mystery in in some of these episodes, which is, you know, worth the price of admission, which is mm-hmm. free. So, yeah. <laughs> Why don't we take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about an episode? Sounds good. Hi, I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as the Hammer Podcasts and the Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them Legends of the Superheroes. In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like Batman, Wonder Woman,
2: Doctor David Banner,
0: and let's not forget about the non-superheroes such as
2: Swamp Thing.
1: buck rogers
0: and many more look for the legends of the superheroes specials under the hammer podcasts at two true oh and we're back man i good thing
4: i had that wave motion engine to take me over the bathroom (laughs)
3: because
4: i used the wave motion gun and shot some stones oh sorry a little too much personal info there i guess (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, why should this show be any different? <laughs> <laughs> Alvin!
4: Where are you, Alvin? I think Alvin's a Gamelon. <laughs> he's over there in the other room. Yes!
0: Hmm. <laughs> oh, great. So he's he's gone from, from Arnold to Bane to Deslock. He's <laughs> gone from Arnold to Bane to Deslock.
4: Alvin, Alvin, Alvin. <laughs> Wildstar, bring me the food. I'm hungry. It's time for din din,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: which the Gamelons do have some weird sound effects behind them. They do. They
0: they have some weird sound effects and they have some weird music too. Why, that sounds like
4: a Segway.
0: Yes, it does.
4: And not those stupid things you ride around on the, in the that you always probably fall over on. I I've never run. In my
0: day, we rode a bike and we liked it. And one wheel was bigger than the other, and one wheel was in the front, and one was in the back, and we liked it
4: and I'd fall on the middle bar and it would hurt <laughs> anyway a often uh I kind of consider it another character in the show is the music because in in this show more than I've really ever noticed in others none of the really of like like the music and Battle of the Planets or even G.I. Joe or any other cartoons has really ever stayed in my head as much as the music from this show and but now we're gonna take a little quick we're gonna run through the basically the Space Battleship Yamato soundtrack probably play a little clip from each one and just talk about each song just just real quick before we get into talking about the two episodes we're gonna cover tonight the first track on there is the actual Space Battleship Yamato opening theme which you heard at the beginning of, of of this as well. Which there is a Japanese version, and I'm going to play that here. You heard the American version earlier. <laughs> the translation is totally different. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not well, it's interesting because the you, if you know the Star Blazers theme, mm-hmm. you can hear why they had to use certain words. You know, like they the whole name Star Blazers is to go over Yamato. Yeah. Yamato.
4: <laughs> Yeah, so it's, and I even like the Japanese version, although I don't know the words, I can just, you know. Well,
0: it's it's a really rousing piece of music, you know, when you hear that beginning of an episode, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, yes, we're off to an adventure in space, let's go. Well, the guy
4: that sings the Japanese version, I've seen videos of him doing it on stage. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's he's on stage there's an orchestra there's background singers. they they have a whole music thing because one of the other ones we're going to cover later has the women i think it's actually the next one we're going to talk about uh, mm. the the universe spreads into infinity and it opens with the women going ah uh-huh. And there's three women. They're on stage with him, and they're 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 just they're doing the vocals for this. Yeah. Now, this was always the song. Um, it was like the very it's like very siren-like. It's like sad. It was often when they were going on a journey somewhere in the series. You know, the, the you know we're leaving Earth. This was the sad music, or yeah. when someone was going to die or off to do something that they didn't think they they were going to come back this is the music that you would hear
0: and would uh, would accompany yeah it's really a melancholy kind of music mm-hmm. you know it's like oh are we going to ever see them again kind of yeah
4: thing. and and a lot of these tracks on this soundtrack are just just like that they, they they're they all over the place with different mm-hmm. themes which well for, for the entire show it's a soundtrack for the entire show and a lot of these will be reused again in the other Seasons, and if uh, we get that far in our show here, we'll cover that other music when we get to it. The next one is called Yamato sleeps in the setting sun, and it's more like a uh, it's a it's a commanding drum line. Mm.
0: I I referred to this as the Yamato March.
4: Right, like when it's rising up, it's getting ready to do something, or mm-hmm. you know, it's it it has a purpose. You know, it's like, you know, we're going to go do this now. And um, then it gets a little lighter, you know, a little softer as it goes. Like, yeah. But it's it's all very militaristic, but in an uplifting way.
0: Yeah, it's, it's basically it's the main theme just slowed down a
4: bit right and we'll see that and a lot of these are just a variation on the main theme mm-hmm. which next one we go into track four which is yamato launches from earth and this is when the first time it rises out of um which we'll discuss in our synopsis is that it was buried when it sunk it went down in the sea and then it was embedded in the seafloor. But because of the planet bombs, all the water's gone on the planet Earth. So it's exposed, but it's covered in rock. And this is when it first breaks free. And then it turns into this 70-ish, you know, it's like real, you
0: know. Well, it, the, the the visual for you guys is the Yamato breaks free of the Earth. It's, you know, now it's up and flying.
5: It's people
0: the, yeah, and then this the, it goes into this joyous like,
3: yeah,
4: we're flying. Isn't
0: this great? And yet. Sorry. And yes, the battleship actually has wings. Oh yeah. That's great. Oh yeah. <laughs>
4: Sets it up babbling on that one.
3: Yeah.
4: Now this one, track five. Oh, man. I don't know if, uh, this is called Inter-Deslar, which would be Inter-Deslock. Mm. This sounds like some new age jazz or something. I feel like a beatnik. I want to snap my fingers.
0: It, you know, it, or... It almost sounds like they were trying to get so alien that they were just playing random notes. It's,
4: it sounds like the Grateful Dead tuning up.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, you have that weird alien sound, but it's also like you know, oh, I've, I've got this harp here. I'm just gonna pluck that string and that string and that's and there's no rhythm to it. No, really, it's, it's... just they're trying to make it. These are aliens. <laughs> it sounds hey, like this music, music sounds good to them
4: when. When Alvin runs across the piano in the middle of the night, scares the crap out of me. Bink 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 bink. bink. Oh, what what? Stupid cat. track six is called the women of Iskandar which is the oh look it's a pretty girl music <laughs> <laughs> it's the oh da, da, I'm a dainty girl I'm so pretty
0: this, this this one almost sounds like like a traditional Japanese song mm-hmm. you know like uh, like you would see like in a kabuki theater or something right you know it's it's very very traditional where it, you know complete opposite of the enter Desler track
4: oh yeah yeah cuz this is very solid musical it's you know very soothing whereas the last one was just so disjointed and just alien which is what they set out to do Then we go into track seven, which is entitled Sorrow,
0: which yeah, is again... Boy, is that you know, a descriptive name.
4: <laughs> I know. This is such a, such a heavy... Just sad.
0: Yeah. It's like... And
4: you,
0: that that's something that this show... Well, the name is Sorrow, so I don't yeah. know what else we expect out of it. You know? Yeah, but I mean, the, the show was so good at using this music mm-hmm. to force the mood, you know, it, it that... That, well, that's why you and I remember all this. Oh,
4: I know. This, oh. this. You know, the music is what has stuck with me. I was so happy to find these tracks, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... Um, I do have a... Uh, and I might see if I can just go buy the soundtrack for, for better quality, because I've bought soundtracks for anime games before and such, like uh, Final Fantasy VII. I have, like, a four-disc thing I bought straight from Japan. It was, like, oh. 60 bucks. Yeah, that it's because
0: I love the music in that game. Well, that won an award for the music. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. Final Fantasy VII's music won some like uh, some video game award for like you know best original score. Mm. And it re- and it wasn't because of that annoying Chikobo
4: chicken song. <laughs> On to number eight, which is called the Sorte of the Enemy Fleet. And uh, I call this Fight, Fight, Fight. (laughs) Basically, you got the incoming enemy ships, you know, and it's the very tense. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminds me a little of, you know, the the Star Trek, you know. Oh, yeah,
0: the Doomsday Machine.
4: (laughs) Right, but this one's a little bit more faster, and it's got strings and and percussion in it. I mean, it's just really, really pretty good. one. It's called Gathering the Fleet, and it's more like uh, marching formation music. You know, it's like, all right, we're getting all our ships together. We're going to go out for a fight. Here we come.
0: And, and this this one just it keeps building and building and building. You know, it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like, something's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Get ready yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, this is
4: also used sometimes when the Argo is getting ready to do something that's going to put it in peril you know, it's, it's it's a good theme. Now the next one we talked about, I don't remember this one being in the no, show.
0: I don't remember this at all. It, it's like <laughs> this is the Yamato disco
4: music. Yeah, this was called Cosmo Tigers, and I don't know if this was just something on the soundtrack or maybe they did this in Japan because we are listening to the Battleship Yamato soundtrack, mm-hmm. and this was called Cosmo Tigers. And this this is the straight up disco song on here with it's backed up by spaceships flying, yeah, it's with backed guns up by sound effects. yeah, it's backed up with sound effects and it's got the it's just like a smooth dancing disco song. Mm. It's it's really the one that's kind of weird. Not not I mean just it's upbeat and energetic, but it's like the polar opposite. Of where is the inner deslock one or deslar yeah. one. Yeah,
0: yeah you know
4: it's, it's dance music is what it is. Yeah, this is dance music. You know I would it wouldn't surprise me if this was playing in a Japanese disco back in the 70s mm-hmm. Yeah. Next one, track eleven, is called Black Tigers. And this was another one of the fight, fight, fight. Yes. This was usually when you'd have the small ships flying around, the larger ships. And you'd have the
0: Gamelon Fighters and the uh, the Black Tigers were the name of the...
4: It was the Black Tigers,
0: right? Yeah, the, the Black Tigers, that was the Yamato Fighter Squad. Right, because the Cosmo Tigers, I don't know where that name came from. Uh, yeah. a co- the Cosmo Tiger is Wildstar's personal fighter.
2: Oh, yeah, excuse me.
4: Oh,
0: yes
2: <laughs>
4: I, I told you he was arrogant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this was the very... This was another, you know... Like the Star Trek, da, 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 da. this was. More, this sounds more like the the fighting, like the you know, da, 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 da. yeah.
0: Like yeah, this, close it, quarters combat fighting. Yeah, you listen to this and you can you can picture like a, a dog fight going on because like, yeah. oh, you know he's coming to get you. Oh, I'm I'm behind him. I got nowhere to go. You know, but it,
4: I think it, this it, was also used when like when they were infiltrating a base or something. Yes. Like in this, is it? It's a, is Sergeant Knox
0: in this series? Or no, that's the... uh, Common Empire.
4: Common Empire, yeah. Because at one point they picked up some Space Marines. And uh, I think this is used like when they're infiltrating stuff. But the Star Force went on, quote-unquote, away missions anyway. So, yeah. So next we come to Romance. This is another one I don't remember. Uh, well, it's real short. It's only 47 yeah. seconds. Mm-hmm. But I want to say... I don't know, like maybe sometimes when we were looking at Nova, or um, there was a flashback when Wildstar was a kid. Okay. I want to say this is in there, although the title wouldn't really make any sense with it. But, but yeah, that's 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 romance. Mm. So the next track, thirteen, is called Search Ship, and this is like the. Okay, we've got something to do on the ship. We gotta fix it. We gotta search yep. the ship. We gotta find something. And this has, this is, 70s funk, <laughs> right down to heavy bass, to a caboises with guitars, you know. And it's got horns. It's just funk is what I is what this yeah. track is to me.
0: Yeah, I because of, I've seen the show, I just immediately think, oh, this is when they're repairing something. It's like in the. Uh, it's like the factory music in Looney Tunes.
4: Well, this is also, like we talked about earlier, this is the music, like when they're traveling like yes. on the ground or something. This is the music that's played when uh, Wildstar Adventure and Dr. Sane and IQ9 hop in a ship to go out in the middle of nowhere. They, they're not sure where they're going. But this is the music that plays behind them. So next Scarf of Sorrow. Scarf of Sorrow. Yes, <laughs> Scarf of Sorrow. This is like a variation on the main theme. This is yeah. one of the ones This
0: is like the sad version. Yeah, this is like the main theme is a dirge. Yeah. You know, th- normally they would play this when someone is thinking like uh, thinking about oh my dead brother would have loved this, or, you know, I, I miss this person so much, or, yeah. you know, like, I'm never going to see my family on Earth again, that kind of thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's definitely it's one of those things that it's just, you hear it, it's like, oh, someone's in a funk.
3: hmm
4: one is called shocking scarf which is like i called the dun dun
2: dun yeah. music
4: it's the the high violins something's gonna happen what's going mm-hmm. on oh it's a big revelation we don't know what to do i was about to give away one thing but um, <laughs> you have to wait till we get there to the end of the series if we go with this Next is uh, track 16, The Great River Yamoto. And this is uh, this is a weird one. Yeah. It's, again, got kind of the 70s funk going. I kind of call it the let's get our act together and get organized music.
0: Yeah, and also the end of this track is what they play at the end of the episode when the narrator saying, you know... Oh, that's right. This is, Arobi, this is what's going to happen.
2: 364 days left.
0: Hurry, yes. Star
2: Force, hurry. Yeah,
0: because it goes into this
4: big crescendo... Seventeen crossing the beautiful ocean we got a lot of harps (laughs) strings it's the everything's alright song this this is the song I most associate with Nova I also associate this with we're on earth that yeah because it always seems to play when they're on a beautiful planet side right you know it's like oh we're out of space we're all together ooh it's hot Nova yes
0: this is where they take a breather you know
4: yeah and, you know, anytime you see Nova, they usually
0: kind of blur the lens. Yeah, it's like the uh, <laughs> the women in Star Trek. You know, they always have the fuzzy focus on them. Yeah, you get the fuzzy focus. Somebody smeared
4: Vaseline on the screen, <laughs> you know. Ew. So That was correct. Wow, Yeah. next we have uh... track eighteen the silence of space now this is uh... this is like a i call it the lonely space travel music like mm-hmm. like they would open with, with a scene and they would just show space and then they would pan across and then you'd see something and then it's got like a little bit of synth or I don't know if it's harpsichord in here but it's very you know eerie ethereal space type music right you know questioning what's out there what are we getting into so I mean like I said a lot of these set the tone for what you're watching because I really think that if if this show did not have this music I don't think it would have made such an impression on me
0: no no not at all <laughs>
4: me go into 19, which is called Yamato's Bolero, which is, uh, I call this the shit just got real <laughs> <laughs> and stuff's gonna happen. Yeah, you know, it, because it's very, it's another variation of the theme, but it's like, alright, something bad is about to happen.
0: Yeah, th- this has got a lot of snare drum in it. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's, you know, they're beating to the quarters or something.
4: Yeah, or, or like. Like at a funeral, then you know like like a march, like a dirge. yeah, but but then it builds this also builds at the end. It goes up to like a large crescendo with uh, the strings.
0: Yeah, I, I just wrote down, will they make it? Yes, that's what it yes. sounds like. It's like a, you know it's like going into a commercial break are they, whatever they're doing are they gonna pull it off mm-hmm. um, another lovely planet side. Tune is called Meadow, mm.
4: uh, that you know is just a, as it implies. It sounds like you're, you know, you're down on the planet. You know, it's nice, nice relaxing. You know, it's a nice little catchy tune. You know, it's it's not the right home about, but it's good like background filler music. Yeah,
0: it's it's just you know a, a break time kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, b- between the uh, the vast amounts of damage that they take.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, the next track, I call it, well, the track's called Ghost Town. Mm-hmm. I call it the We Are Walking Into a Trap music. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's... Dun, 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 dun. Uh, it's a trap. It's like they know it's a trap,
0: but they have to go anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just so ominous sounding. Yeah, this is where they're you know infiltrating the enemy base. And, you know, they can get caught at any moment.
4: Mm-hmm then we have a track called suspense a which is track 22 and it's uh it's this one is like i call it the something is fishy music Mm -hmm. like this is prior to the trap it's like they're coming up on something they're not sure what's going on you know that shouldn't be there well let's investigate let's send something out right you know it's you know it's It's the questioning, and and it, too, builds a little bit at the end to a nice little, you know, not a big crescendo, but a small one. Next one is called Suspense B, track 23, and this was, uh, I labeled it the Here Comes the Enemy music.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, this... This is played in episode three, which we're not going to cover. Yeah, and and, and there's like, there's sirens
4: in this song. Yeah. Like, you know, not like singing women, just, and then then like heavy horns, like, wah, wah,
0: wah. This is is basically, there is danger coming. mm -hmm. It's not getting here quick, but it's coming. Yeah.
4: Then we have track 24, which is called the Launch of the Ship. I call it the We've Got a Mission music.
0: Yeah. It's just,
4: you know, it's got a lot of strings again, a lot of funk in it.
0: Yeah, this is Uh, like where they're they're flying like a a transport ship or something to go, and we need to go collect this over here.
4: Yeah. Next on our list, actually the original battle theme, but this time it has no words. It's just straight up music. And when you listen to this without the words, then you can hear this in the other songs as well. So right. This music just gets my blood pumping. Oh, yeah. And now next though and and then we take it down (laughs) this i don't know if it's just me because sometimes i don't know melancholy things sometimes are more of my things and uplifting things i know that's kind of weird maybe it's a weird dichotomy but this to me i actually posted this on facebook the other day because this is this is what probably my favorite song out of all of them just because me it's it's a sad version of the main theme. A, right. Another sad version. And this there's two rises with the strings and stuff in it. That in the middle and one at the end and when they play it makes it makes the hair on my arms stand up. <laughs> Every time I listen to it. This is also played, you know, when like when somebody's going to die or right. you know, they don't know if they're going to make it.
0: It's just a touching song to me, but you know, I guess I'm a softie. I <laughs> no, I I really like this song. It, it's again, it's one of those one of those pieces of music that evokes a primal feeling in you. So it's like when you hear this, there's smoke billowing out of the ship, and you hear this, it's like they're not gonna make it, are they?
4: last one we're going to cover tonight is called a uh, track 27 a desperate situation and this is I call this the oh crap music yes because uh, it's a lot of strings again and usually this is once you know they have okay we had the we're walking into a trap the trap sprung this is the trap sprung what the hell do we do music yeah
0: Sandor what can you do now
4: yes yeah, Sandor fix this <laughs> so you know this is like uh don't, you know, I can't give a lot of examples because it would give away stuff later on. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, this is, this is the, they're in the thick of it and they've got to find a way out and they don't know how they're going to do it yet. I think that pretty much covers the music for now. And, uh, hopefully, uh, (laughs) I got my editing right and you'll hear some of these tracks as we went along. I think now we're ready. Uh, do we need to take another break? You think, or should we just head straight into synopsis of episode one and two?
0: Well, why don't we just go right into the synopsis? Okay, sounds good to me. I'm gonna do a quick blurb on
4: season one for brevity, because everyone knows how much I love the synopsize things.
3: <laughs>
4: I'm and it is Japanese, so hold on to your hats, people. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm 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 reading on. I'm cheating and I'm using w- Wikipedia, <laughs> but there's a quick blurb about season one, which I don't know if we completely covered. Did you cover it
0: in your opening? No, no, I, I just gave the broad strokes of what the show was about. I didn't oh, okay. do anything about the quest for Iskandar.
4: Okay. Well, season one, the quest for I- Iskandar. The plot opens, or I should I say this like, like the narrator?
1: In the year 2199, planet Earth was facing extinction. In the mid-21st century, the mysterious planet Gamelon, a planet outside our solar system, declared war on all of Earth. These evil marauders of space, known for their ruthless warfare throughout the galaxies, began to bombard Earth with their deadly planet bombs. The surface of the Earth became unlivable. People could only survive by moving to underground cities far below the Earth's surface. There was no defense against the bombing. The nations of the world fought as one against the Gamelons, but one by one, Earth's space fleets were defeated. The Gamelons demanded total surrender, but the Earth Defense Command refused. So the Gamelons continued their attack. And now another danger looms. The deadly radiation pollution caused by the bombs covers the Earth. And soon, even the underground cities will no longer be safe, as day by day, the radiation sinks deeper into the Earth. Earth is now hopelessly contaminated. In a year's time, all life on Earth will be extinct. Now, one last desperate battle between the Earth Defense Fleet and the Gamelons is being fought near the planet Pluto. Earth has only one space battleship left, commanded by Captain Avatar. The narrator, we got to talk, talk about Rain. him
4: him for a second, because he's another character. The opening and closing narrator is awesome. Yes. I don't know who he is. It's not Ted Knight. He's Ted knightish ish Those of you who don't know what who Ted Knight is, go watch the Super Friends, and then go watch Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Justice. Yeah. But the narrator sets, in the beginning, he gives you a recap of what happened and where they're at. But at the end, he's always so desperate with his outgoing, <laughs> <laughs> it's a countdown through the entire series. And it, like the last, you know, he says, will the Star Force make it back? There are only 364 days remaining before life on earth is extinct. For hopes of all mankind are with the Star Force.
1: But can this ancient ship, with its brave but inexperienced crew, travel 148,000 light-years and back in just one Earth year? Does Earth have a chance to survive? Will the Star Force return in time with the Cosmo DNA from Iskandar? Now there are 364 days left.
4: And then, like, next episode, there are only, Earth has only 363 days left. <laughs> next episode,
0: Earth is only, okay, all right, all right. It's good when you're watching it once a week, but when you watch it all in a row, it's like, shut up already. Yeah. And
4: then they jump from, you know, they're, they're like, in the 360s, then they're in the 380s, 3, 311, and then they jump to 280. It's like, oh, my God, just get there already. <laughs> The plot opens in the year 2199, with planet Earth facing extinction within one year due to radioactive pollution caused by planet bombs, the weapon of a blue-skinned humanoid alien race known as the Gamelons. A message arrives from Queen Starsha of planet Iskandar, providing Earth with the plans to build a superliminal engine. Wow, I said that without stuttering. And the promise that if Earthlings can reach Iskandar... Enduring what obstacles the Gamelons might put in their way, the Queen will give them a machine, the Cosmo DNA. <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> that can neutralize the deadly radioactivity and restore the Earth's ecosystem. The challenge borne by the crew of Yamato is to travel 148,000 light years to Iskandar and back to Earth in one Earth year. Now let's just think about that. 148,000 light years. Yes, to Iskandar and back. So round trip 296,000 light years in a year. It's quite an engine.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Iskandar isn't even in our galaxy.
4: No. It's no, in they... the
0: Great Melogenic Cloud.
4: Mhm. Along with something Oh, oh, oh I'm skipping. Uh, uh, I got to be quiet. Got to be quiet. Which you know what? They are... well, no, no. Ugh. I was going to say they almost give that away in the in the first episode.
0: Yes. But you but
4: don't know it, what you're looking at.
0: Yes. Uh, you, you need to know what's going on to understand what they're showing you. Yeah. And that's all we're going to say about that. Okay. Episode 1, The Battle at Pluto.
4: In the late 22nd century, an alien race known as the Gamelons have attacked the Earth from bombarding it with... Didn't I just say that? No, I, just, I know. I'm just kidding. Bombarding it with radioactive bombs and forcing the population underground. However, the radiation is seeping into the planet. Unless it's removed, Earth will become uninhabitable in one year war with the Gamelons has also destroyed the Earth's space forces except for two ships. The Paladin, commanded by Alex Wildstar, and another ship, commanded by Captain Avatar. During a battle at Pluto, Avatar's ship is damaged. The Paladin gives Avatar's ship enough time to escape, but is destroyed to process. And baby, it just ain't destroyed.
0: (laughs) They blow it up real good.
4: They had like 13 Gamelon frigates or spacecraft or battleships, whatever, they circle it like a, in a, they, they circle his ship and then they all fire at once into the center and they just blow holes in it like Swiss cheese. And then it just blows the bits. This will be important later. That's all I'm saying now. Meanwhile, in a non, see, we had a meanwhile. Meanwhile, in a non-Gamelon alien ship is hit in a crossfire and crashes on Mars. All right. You and I talked about this earlier. They're battling at Pluto. And the ship gets hit and crashes on Mars. That's how fast it was going. <laughs> wow. Holy crap, lady. <laughs> well, What are you driving? Driver. Oh, well, that, that, that explains how she got from Pluto <laughs> to Mars so fast and crashed into it. You crashed <laughs> into a planet. <laughs> Cadets Derek Wildstar, Alex's younger brother, and Mark Venture, with the speech impediment, investigate and discover a beautiful dead woman. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, they pick her up. Wow, she's beautiful. Like, you guys are getting creepy. Just put the dead body down, would you? Ejected from the escape pod and clutching a message capsule, they return to Earth in Avatar's battleship, and Derek notices the absence of any other ships. Now, you know, know, I hate to nitpick the show that I love. Okay, they notice there's no other ships in there. That ship wasn't that big. I mean, those other yeah. ships that were with it, and when you look at the animation and reference to the size, it's like, well, really, how many could have... Uh, yeah,
0: yeah anyway. it, that's one of the notes I have for the episode. like, oh, really? okay,
4: How big is this? <laughs> yeah, it's like, how big did you expect it to be? On the way back, they learn of Alex's fate. After they return, Derek confronts Avatar about Alex, but Ava- Avatar says it was Alex's decision to remain. When the message capsule is decoded, it contains a message from Queen Starsha of planet Iskandar, who talks like this in a very high, fluting voice. She sounds a lot like Deslock <laughs> But with no testicles. <clears throat> Starsha says the messenger was her sister, Astra, and offers Earth the Cosmo DNA, a device which can remove the radioactivity. The message also, chica- the message also contains plans for an advanced technology dubbed the the wave motion engine capable of faster than light travel as the Earth Defense Command deliberates a Gamelon recon plane is detected sniffing around the ruins of the sunken World War II battleship the Yamato out of sheer boredom Wildstar adventurers steal a plane I mean take a plane out unauthorized to investigate the Yamato appears to be nothing more than a hulk of ruins however leaving the cadets puzzled as to why Gamelon would be interested in it So,
0: whole lot of setup in this episode.
4: Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, and and some of my notes, while I did cover somewhat in the synopsis, was that... Oh, no, no, actually, I mean, I think it was... uh, I read somewhere else, or maybe it was in another... Like, you would think, well, why couldn't they stop the planet bombs? I mean, there's these big giant meteorites that they slam into the Earth... But right. apparently they were able to do them, stop them at first, but then the Gamelons just kept taking out their ships. Because like they say, they only have two ships left.
0: Well, it's actually, at the beginning of the episode, it's more than two, because there's... Yes, yes, there. yeah, that was a nitpick, too. There was there was uh, Wildstar
4: and Avatar's ship, and there was at least two or three other ships out yeah, there. Yeah, because that, you that, see that a, that a few, few
0: Earth ships get destroyed before the very end of the
4: battle. Mm-hmm. Okay, a little side tangent. When... They're in the battle, and the Gamelons send a message to Avatar for the conditions of his surrender.
0: This is where I knew I loved Captain Avatar. <laughs> now, there is a, a history precedence for this. Yes, the
4: Ardennes. Oh, you looked that up too, with the Battle of the Bulge? No, I knew it. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Well, yeah, I knew it too, but I, I looked it up to get for sure I had the right guy. It was General. Okay, what Captain, Avatar, <laughs> Captain Avatar's response is, Idiots Yes. And then like the radio guy turns and looks at him and goes, What, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I said idiots. And, and I said idiots <laughs> And then uh Gamelon flea idiots That's <laughs> what so the guy says back to them. There was a general, uh Anthony Clement Nuts McCulfee uh McAuliffe? Yeah. Uh, he was a US Army general at the Battle of the Bulge and basically the Germans had them surrounded at a, a town the story is that his uh, single word reply to the German commander was nuts <laughs> you know and it's been debated that you know was he he was saying ah nuts you know like ah crap
0: it's more like nuts to you
4: yeah but they, but they sent it back <laughs> They they gave it to a lieutenant colonel and he brought the response back and the germans were <laughs> all confused like what <laughs> and it basically and they a- asked the guy well what does this message mean he says oh, in plain english go to hell
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so basically captain avatar's like go to hell we're not taking your crap which falls into some good old broadside ship to ship space battles
0: with instead of shells you have um, uh, lasers yeah and that's one of my notes, is that these ships actually, they move, yes, they're in three-dimensional space, but they move and they fight like their old Earth battleships. You know, yeah. they fire, They the turret moves over, they take aim, they fire a broadside. Mm-hmm. You know, it's oh, it's and, all and very the effects, slow.
4: <laughs> you know, I mean, the sound the sound quality for some of the effects is also another good part of the show. Excuse me. Mm. Like, from the sounds of the lasers to the wave motion engine to the wave motion gun.
0: And th- this battle is also where we find out that Gamelon ships are tough. Yeah. They, they take broadsides from the, the Earth battleship and it doesn't phase them. And the Earth ships, they're
4: like they're made out of paper mache. Yeah. they just lasers ripping right through them and then they
3: just
4: massive explosions. I guess, uh, what was one of my other notes? Well, this we, we have... Uh, Derek's brother Alex is captain of of one of the missiles ships. Captain Avatar has decided he's had enough and he's gonna he's retreating back to Earth. Alex sees that they're damaged and he brings up he protects their flank. So Avatar tells him to get inside the ship. You know, no, don't fall back. And and basically Alex says, you know, I'm sacrificing 200 for your 400, or 20 for your 400, so that you can get home. Mm-hmm. And that you know he basically. Does a delaying tactic, and that's what I said. That there's like a dozen Gamelon ships that just go in a circle around him and just blast the crap yeah. out of him. Which uh, later, when Avatar tries to tell that to Derek, but Derek just has a big chip on his shoulder and will for some time.
0: Oh yeah, this this is the beginning of it. You could have ordered him back, and and all this. It, he has a big problem with Avatar for a good number of episodes in this first season. Yeah,
4: because Venture says, well, you know, Captain Avatar was wounded, and he's like, yeah, but he came back. Yeah. For a 10-year-old kid, that's like a heavy thing. Yeah, oh, to, definitely. To watch on a show, to, to kind of try to comprehend. I gotta say, uh, poor poor Astra. Oh, yeah. She was, like all Iskandar women, god, they're all hot. <laughs>
0: and know? they all look like Nova.
4: And they all look like Nova. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, man, Nova has got. Uh, later, when when we see her, holy cow, does she have some big eyelashes? <laughs> I mean, those things are like giant fans. Like you could cool a room off with them things when she bats those little eyes. It's like, whoa, lady, Whew. it's getting cold in here. Yeah, I, I think we mentioned Mark. Uh, Mark Venture not only has a speech impediment, but he thinks he has a swagger. <laughs> it's like, just shut up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we said that Doctor Zane, reverend Russell's the pig earlier. Uh, IQ9 is a warrior, can detach his head and listen to uh, conversations. And uh, so I guess it's a good thing that the Star Force has Google Galactic for this trip. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Here's Iskandar, <laughs> go to it. <laughs> well, I'm hoping they had the coordinates in the message.
4: <laughs> well, that, that's what I hope, but it's you know, but well, I mean, I I'm not sure she would have included all the traffic jams along the way. You know. Right. Yeah. The what? The floating continent at Saturn? Huh? What? Yeah, that's right. We said a floating continent with
0: trees and an atmosphere. And an atmosphere, and I think there's an ocean.
4: Yeah, it's
0: it's like uh, Asgard in Marvel comics.
4: <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like. And then there's and then on their way out, they crash into the oceans of Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Just a teaser for what's coming up in the series. But yeah, yeah they, they run into all kinds of wacky things and mayhem on the way to Iskandar. It's the road to Iskandar with Hope and Crosby.
0: <laughs> or Sane and IQ9. Sane and IQ9.
4: <laughs> Venture and Wildstar. Wildstar. So, well, I guess we've babbled enough about uh, episode one. Uh, you yeah. care to take us into episode two? Sure. Take it away.
0: All right. In the second episode of the show, we have cadets Wildstar and Venture returning from their trip, and they are summoned to the Yamato. They notice that it looks like a brand new ship from underneath, even though they saw a rusted hulk on the surface. When they board, they find themselves inside a newly modernized spaceship commanded by Captain Avatar. Wildstar is eager to fight the Gamelons, but Avatar says that the ship's primary mission is to travel to Iskandar and return with a Cosmo DNA. Wildstar and Venture have little time to look around, however, as Gamelon planes attack the ship from an orbiting carrier. Even though the ship isn't prepared for an attack, Avatar orders it powered up, telling Wildstar to take over the weapon systems and Venture to take helm control. As the ship breaks free from the Earth's surface in a very dramatic scene, Wildstar aims the ship's main guns at the carrier. Avatar fires the guns, destroying the carrier in one shot. As his ship is exploding, the Gamelon general is able to send a message that what they thought was an underground city was actually a space battleship, the largest he'd ever seen. On Gamelon, leader Deslok chastises his generals for the inability to distinguish an underground city from a space battleship. At the end of the episode, we're given our first countdown, where the narrator lets us know that there are 364 days remaining before life on Earth is extinct. I don't think we get the hurry,
4: Star Force hurry. I think that's like in later... That's e- that.
0: Yeah, because hey, there's still 364 days. They don't have uh, to we just yet.
4: <laughs> well, I, again, I hate to nitpick this show, mm. but there would have to be some type of... Okay, they say that Wildstar and Metro Return from their trip are summoned to the Yamato. Okay, they just got the capsule from (laughs) Starship. So how in, like, an hour did they come up with a wave motion? You see what I'm saying? Like, there should have been months
0: or something here. The the beginning of this series is a little on the wacky side because there's that time difference... That you would think, well, you know, we got to build the damn thing. Yeah. So no so I mean, matter if they've been, you know, refitting the Yamato, they have to build this alien engine. And right. Then, and they may have already
4: been doing the Yamato, yeah, just right. like you said. But they still got to, <laughs> they still have to put the wave motion engine in it. Mm-hmm.
0: And what's interesting is that in this episode, they break free from the Earth and are floating above it and shoot. And then next episode. They have to break free from the earth and float above it and destroy, shoot to destroy something. So it's like they they don't remember what happened the previous episode.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean,
4: once it gets started though, it picks up a little. It's you know, and this may have been something to do with the translation over from the Japanese. It's been a while since I've seen the original. Yeah. So you know, but I mean, yes, we're gonna admit we like the show, but it has a couple little flaws. So. Nobody needs to write in well, I don't know where you're going to write into right in the back of the bins. I'll pick it up over there. So so, yeah, it's it's it, uh, let me look at my notes.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one thing to note is that Avatar has his arm in a sling in the beginning of the episode. Oh, yeah. And, and they mention, you know, the, the defense commander says, you know, Avatar, your wound isn't healed yet. So it's this lays the groundwork for later on. Yeah, that wound show. that wound may be more severe than you're led to believe at this time. Yeah,
4: uh, one one of my favorite memories. This was the first time that the not the main gun, not the wave motion engine, but the 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 top deck, the 18 inch guns fire. Yeah, and when they fire, all three barrels fire at once, and then those beams of energy go and they twist together.
0: Yeah, they corkscrew around they, each other.
4: They corkscrew around each other and then just pummel the shit out of whatever they hit.
0: Yeah, they, like <laughs> before, the Gamelon ships in the last episode, they were able to take whatever the Earth ships were shot at them and not be phased. Here, they shoot once <laughs> a one broadside and this giant carrier is blown to smithereens. Mm-hmm. That's how powerful these guns are. And i I don't know if it's just they're that much bigger, or it's the wave motion engine which they just found out about and somehow miraculously, you know, whipped it up in thirty seconds. Well, maybe there was a miniature one in there. Yeah, <laughs> And there that's was the a... auxiliary engine they meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And th- this also is where we find out more than anything else, IQ9 has a huge ego problem. <sighs> Because he, yes. uh, Venture and Wildstar are summoned to the ship, and IQ Nine tags along. And saying, you weren't summoned. And he said, "Yeah, but the the hospital only needs a, a level five. I'm a level nine, a genius."
4: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Hence the IQ Nine. Yeah. And
4: it, this is the one where Doctor Sane's hanging out in the back of the. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, they find him in the the, the car,
4: drinking though. his. Sp- spring water that he says is a motion sickness cure (laughs) right what's with them little tiny glasses looks like sake glasses Mm.
0: but yeah this this sequence with the Yamato breaking out of the earth's crust that is one of the ones that they redid in the live action and it is so beautiful
4: Mm -hmm. oh one little quick note about when they get on the elevator to go up into the Yamato, it oh, tilts yeah. at an angle, like a 15, 20 degree angle, mm-hmm. and they're like, "What?" Because when the ship sunk, that's the angle the ship is sitting in the sea, in the uh, in the crust at. So they have to tilt. So before they break out of the uh, ground, they're actually at you know the old the old Batman sixty six, yes uh, show tilted to to the side. Everything is tilted. You expect Burgess Meredith to come out. <laughs> wildstar adventure kind of take real quick to their positions uh he get what wildstar's the gunner yeah and he's having a he's he's sweating bullets man he's trying to get the guns oh oh I've never, these systems oh my god he's like wiping you know the sweat on the forehead oh oh <laughs> but he gets the guns trained and then you know avatar's got the big red button in, in his hand is this the only time that Avatar fires the gun? Yeah, I know. I, I, I saw that and I'm like, you know, I really don't ever remember that later on. Well, because maybe you didn't tr- trust Wildstar. I, I don't know. Well, later when we see when they fire the wave motion gun, there's like a f- pop up gun that comes out of the <laughs> out of the console that, you know, they actually line up with the display, which was actually in the live movie, too. Yeah, I mean the whole bridge, everything that's in anime on that bridge is in that live movie, almost perfect. Yes, just astounding the level of detail. Uh, just you know, I just can't can't go on enough about it. But oh, and uh, Gamelon, you know, you're not fighting aggressive enough, really. Maybe you should grow a pair. You know. <laughs> Shut up.
0: Yeah, this is the first time we see the Gamelons. The first time we see Deslock, and like I said, they they all have the tan skin everything so they they haven't been you know fully transformed into alien yet
4: right, and with the this is where we hear not that theme that we heard, but that weird gamelon background sound mhm listen to a sonogram or something before the yeah. even sonograms is what it, yeah, the, it's it's really weird the sound of the fighters
0: launching is just oh yeah.
4: That's it's just the Gamelons have their own sounds and music to them that just really just just really distinguishes them. So you know, like
0: we said earlier, makes them alien. Yeah. From and, from the and they carry that over. I know we're jumping jumping ahead here, but they carry that over into the the second series, the Comet Empire. Oh,
4: even more so. Holy yeah, crap, because the then,
0: music for the Comet Empire, it's, it's like
4: pipe organ. It's pipe organ, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah,
0: it's they... so ominous. <laughs> they use music to, to very good effect in the show. I think that Scott Gardner would like it. Oh yeah, uh,
4: that the Comet Empire music I, I was just so scary as as a kid. I mean, you knew something was wrong.
0: <laughs> it's like ooh.
4: Yeah, but we don't want to jump ahead to the Comet Empire.
0: No, no, we got we gotta get to Iskandar first. Yeah, shit. No, we haven't got off the planet yet. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because the the first what like ten episodes are in in our solar system. Oh yeah. And and then it's all of a sudden okay now we're leaving the galaxies. What? <laughs> How would you get there?
4: Yeah, because yeah, it's like uh, just quick scan through there. It's like just at. Episode nine and ten, like I think ten is when they first actually get out of the solar system,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and then they're you know, eastbound down, rolled up and trucking. <laughs> they're gonna do what they say can't be can't done. Be done. <laughs> and, down. and yeah, they got a long way to go and a short time to get there. That's right. Eastbound, just watch all, watch all Wildstar <laughs> run. <And it's> <laughs> I think we go out there I, That sounds good to me And then I'll go out with smoking and the Bandit yeah. It's a 70s movie Let it all out cause we gotta run to Oh.
1: The boys are thirsty in Atlanta And there's beer in Texarkana And we'll bring it back no matter what it takes He's pounded down loaded up and truck Are we gonna do what they say can't be done We've got a long way to go a short time to get there I'm
2: eastbound. just run. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com 2TrueFreaks Two is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2 True freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show too. Thanks for listening and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True, Two True Freaks.
1: You're in jail. So you got the dog, you got to duck it. You got to keep that diesel truckin'. Just put that hammer down and give it hell. He's bound it down, put it up and trucking, Are we gonna do what they say can't be done. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound up. Why don't run?